down because of foreign wars we wage. More to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people try to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free. of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and glad to be back with you guys once again. Uh, shout out to Chief, who's already joined me in the chat room, despite me uh, not actually broadcasting at the usual start time, as uh, <laughs> not surprisingly ran into some techie issues, but we are here, we are operational, and we are good to go. Uh, hopefully, still try to get back to a more regular schedule, although I'd imagine after the first of the year, I may very well be making some permanent changes to what that schedule looks like uh, for various reasons that I will go into a little more in depth at the start of the new year. Uh, once I know for sure what has transpired and what has not. But in the meanwhile, thank you so much for being here, and Chief, of course, so it's a great show. You should know it by now if you're a regular listener here, and certainly if you've taken my advice and checked out his show. Uh, it is called Simple Facts of Life. It is a fantastic show, an uh, overwhelming majority of the time. And the time that it doesn't meet that fantastic standard, it's still pretty daggum good. So I highly recommend you check it out. It's Simple Facts of Life. If you want to go to blogtalkradio.com, uh, you will see a little search bar at that homepage once you have landed there. You can put in QMCUSN. That will take you straight away where you're headed. But 
If you're listening to one of the great radio stations across the country that rebroadcasts this show, and you're driving around and you're hearing it, and you're like, hey, okay. And then you get home later and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to check out that show uh, Tim keeps talking about. Uh, and you have a hard time remembering the Q-M-C-U-S-N, which actually if you were ever in the Navy, I seriously doubt you'll have a hard time with it. But if you haven't been, I can see it. Maybe. Tough. Okay. Then put in simple facts of life. That'll take you right where you're going. Now, Chief does this thing live on Tuesdays starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can adjust your time zone accordingly. And he has a tremendous back catalog of shows and archives. So you can go there anytime you want. You can listen to the shows he's done, or you can join him live. And of course, the time of this live broadcast, in case you're listening to the rebroadcast on one of those great radio stations across the country, you know, great radio stations like KYAH, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, or or WCET, uh, FM in Columbia, South Carolina, or of course, worldwide via WCETFM.com. Or, of course, the app. Maybe at KDIL, 105.7 FM in Kennewick, Washington, or KOII, 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona. And it's my understanding, I have been told every now and again, they are still uh, selecting some uh, some of the broadcast uh, to put in filler spots down at WXEI, that's 95.3 FM in Crestview, Florida, the talk of Crestview. Uh, we were a regular on there for a while. They had a format change, and uh, then they had a format change back, which was kind of weird, and they didn't have all the programs. It's, it's very strange. I mean, I don't know, don't understand, but if you guys happen to be listening there as well, then take great for you. Uh, all right, anyway, if you're listening there, you should know that Today is Tuesday, December 15th. It is 2020. We are literally right quickly approaching that halfway point of the month of December. And uh, we are a day removed from the voting of the Electoral College. And that that is not the end of the shenanigans. Strangely enough, and there are still a couple of options on the table that could potentially have Donald Trump finding a way to overcome all of the Democratic efforts to unseat him from his current residency. It's extremely far-fetched at this point. It is really far out there. It is not likely to occur. I'm not trying to build up any type of false hope for you. But the possibility does still exist, despite the fact that the odds are rather astronomical. But there are a few things that are different this time than what has happened in the past. One of the things that uh, Chief was talking about earlier today in his show was some of the different scenarios that could take place. That and He was uh, looking at the Constitution, and he was looking at semantics, and he was even looking at uh, the potential severity of Joe Biden's health and what could occur – if uh, Joe Biden was to pass away before uh, Congress meets in joint session to certify the results of the Electoral College vote, uh, some scenarios play out there. But uh, there's some other things that happen either. And right now, all the hopes, if you are still rooting for a Trump victory uh, and uh, his continuing presence as 
the resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, if you're still thinking that Donald J. Trump will be president, there's there's really only one chance it has, and that has to occur at this point in time. We have upcoming the official certification, and technically that's when we officially have a president-elect after the electoral college vote has been certified by the joint well, by the joint Congress session. But by most people's standards, we can typically – because we're not supposed to know, but we do know that uh, by the numbers right now, Joe Biden has officially become the victor of the Electoral College. So it still has to be certified, but I, I think most people can now – as hard as it is to swallow, except the fact that referring to Joe Biden as president-elect is no longer uh, such a ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous point. I mean, uh, to hear certain never Trumpers babble on about insisting people refer to Joe Biden as president-elect, president-elect previous to the 14th, that's a bit much. But now I. As bitter of a pill as it is to swallow, I <clears throat> I can play along, I suppose. But there's still a little bit in play. Let's let's take a quick look at what potentially could happen and why this go round could be a little different than the pre-existing precedents uh, in this scenario. So after Donald Trump appears. To have lost in the Electoral College, some House members lined up to object to and challenge the results during the January 6th joint session of Congress, uh, which will be called into session in order to count the electoral votes. House Democrats made 11 objections not too long ago, 11 objections when they brought forth their joint session in 2016. Now, I, I mentioned the January 6th date. That was for the 2016 election. I, I, I need to clarify. I realize I was not particularly clear about that, so let me clarify. This occurred after let, – let's, let's go back in time. Let me set the page uh, – let me set the story uh, a little better. Let's, let's, let's wipe that and reset. So after the Democrats' presidential nominee – lost the Electoral College vote back in 2016. Some House members lined up to object to and challenge the results during January 6th joint session of Congress to count the electoral votes. Okay? I, I want to make sure it's very clear because to say – because we will hear this. We will hear this once it occurs. So it's important to remember it's not unprecedented. It happened as recently as 2016. House Democrats made 11 separate objections, in each case then outgoing Vice President Joe Biden presiding over the session in his role as Senate president asked if the objection had a Senate sponsor. Then – House Majority Leader – I'm sorry, House Minority Leader – got to keep this straight. 
then House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. Of course, you know her, smiley, happy, ice cream eating, supermassive, double freezers. Uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, said that she didn't encourage the objection but would support the objections from her caucus. Uh, Representative Maxine Waters, uh, way out Waters, some call her, demanded that a senator join the challenge against certifying the results. With no senators backing the objections, members of Congress counted the votes, and Biden said, it's over. Gavel the official end of the 2016 election with a victory giving it to now President Donald Trump. Okay, so now that picture painted, right? This is part of what happens nearly every go-around. The vice president will have to oversee this joint session. As president of the Senate, we will have Mr. Pence, Vice President Pence, presiding, and we will have people objecting. But remember, members of the House can object, members of the Senate, and in order for there to be a debate, there must be at least one member of the Senate that will, quote, sponsor this event. If both the House and the Senate, if they don't each have at least one member, there will be no discussion, and it will just be counted. So now we're fast-forwarding nearly four years. This past Monday, the Electoral College voted, apparently, to make Biden president, and in this apparent victory over Donald Trump in the 2020 election, it would appear to be a done deal. However, a joint session of Congress still will have to certify these votes. This is where this little glimmer of hope arises, all right, if you're still on the Trump train. As unlikely and as statistically improbable as this is, it is still within the realm of possibility, so pay close attention. There's a lot of things that have to happen for this to still be in play. Forget about all the court cases. Forget about everything else that's ongoing. It's not going to be anything that stops the transition of power now. We're past that point. A joint session of Congress will still have to certify these votes, and then if Donald Trump still hasn't conceded the election, this potential situation arises. Now, Representative Mo Brooks, a Republican from Alabama, has already pledged to make objections in counting the battleground states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Nevada. He has come out. He has listed this. He intends to be there. And do not be surprised if other representatives from the House stand up and do the same thing. But you've still got to get that magic at least a minimum of one senator to sponsor every objection that's to be uh, debated. Now, objections from the House members, as happened i'll remind you once again in 2016 remember to use this information as soon as the media 
and your leftist friends start trying to tell you this is unprecedented. Still another dark cloud and a dark stain on our democracy that we don't have because we have a constitutionally federated republic, not a democracy. In fact, you know what? I'm, I, I'm thinking about running for Congress now for the sole purpose of introducing a bill that will simply say that any elected member of uh, Congress or the executive branch must – be immediately impeached if they refer to our government as our democracy at any point in the future. That's that's my whole platform. Be prepared to vote for me. I know you're going to want to. Uh, I'm going to do some test failures, find out where the most support is. I'm going to move to those districts to get the support. Uh, <laughs> okay. So again, objections from House members, as happened in 2016 – have become almost routine, especially when Republican presidents are elected. Democrats are all about coming up with the objections. Uh, it happened with George W. Bush, uh, both in uh, 2000 and in 2004. Uh, in 2021, the tables will actually kind of turn, though, because it hasn't happened very often when a Democrat has been elected. It's almost always Democrats objecting to the outcome. Now, what kind of things – because I've said you know, things could be a little different this year, and they could be, because it appears likely that should Brooks follow through with his promise that he'll have at least two Senate sponsors, which of course is required by law for the objection to be debated. Republican Senators Ron Johnson of Wisconsin and Rand Paul of Kentucky have both indicated that they were open to sponsoring the challenges. Now, it would be great if one or both did. Now, by the time Congress votes on the certification, the number of House and Senate Republicans ready to challenge the Electoral College count could expand considerably. I mean, we did have more than 100 House Republicans uh, write their support for the Texas lawsuit against Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia that the Supreme Court decided that they were not going to hear. That happened this past Friday. Now, Brooks tweeted out uh, not long after that saying, quote, no question. It's an uphill climb to do what is necessary to protect the sanctity of America's election system. But we never know who will win these political fights until we fight them. I'm going to fight. So, hey, all right. Notably, 2016 didn't set any new precedents. Past disputes were brought during the counting. What will be different this year is the loser of the Electoral College vote hasn't conceded the election. Donald Trump still has come out and said he does not concede the election. He's still fighting to the very last opportunity, which is what he promised he would do, and just one more example of how Donald J. Trump has made every effort within his physical being, his whatever he was capable of doing, to keep the promises he's made, proving, again, he's no politician. Politicians make promises uh, like rainstorms uh, splash you with raindrops. There are many and on an individual basis, none of them are taken as consequential. 
Donald J. Trump has made every effort to keep every single promise he's made. This is one more promise he is keeping. He's going to fight until there's no way left to fight. And we're, of course, talking about in the courts. We're talking about legally. We're talking about fighting to maintain the position of president of the United States. We're not talking about leading an army in the battle for a civil war. He's, he's not going to do that, despite the fact that some people seem to think yes. Okay, anyway, the 2020 post-election has been compared quite a bit to the 20 – well, I should just say the 2000. Election. I mean, mostly because we had uh, a situation where there were recounts and recounts after recounts, and Florida couldn't seem to get their stuff straight. But then Vice President Al Gore, which I'm sure most of you remember, was a Democrat, he conceded the 2000 election to Bush after the Supreme Court ruled against his campaign's efforts to win Florida. Electoral College voted for Bush at that point. So there was still the concession after all of that. In fact, if you'll remember, Al Gore conceded, then took back his concession when he saw there was still a potential path in Florida. And then after the Supreme Court finally said, uh, Florida, certify your election, uh, and it seemed as though he wasn't going to be able to mount any more recounts and no more stalls, he then conceded. For the second time. So by the time it got to the Electoral College, and then by the time it got to the joint session of Congress, uh, again, there was only one candidate standing uh, by the concession of the other candidate. More than a dozen House Democrats, however, still made 20 separate objections during that joint session on January 6th in 2001. Gore, as vice president, ended up presiding over that session himself, each time asking for a Senate sponsor and each time receiving none, zero. No Democratic senator had his back. Poor guy. He graveled out the session uh, – gaveled, not graveled. He gaveled out the session and ended up certifying W as the winner at that point. So how does it work would be the question you need answered first and foremost. Now the the electors have voted to give Biden 306 electoral votes to the 232 that Trump ended up with. The states have until December 23rd to submit their electors' votes to Congress. Congress is scheduled to convene to count those votes in a joint session on January 6th. As Biden did four years ago, Vice President Mike Pence, in his role as Senate president in January, will preside over the counting. The objection procedure is based on a law passed in 1887. An objection must be declared in writing by a House member and signed by at least one senator for any particular state as an attempt to to prevent certification. Now, as was the case in past years, an objection requires sponsorship from both chambers. If an objection is filed with support from at least one member from each chamber, then the proceedings would stop 
and both the House and the Senate would be required to debate the objection for two hours. A Republican-controlled Senate and a Democratic-controlled House would have to agree on disregarding a state. Now, it's important to remember that they're debating for two hours separately. They're not together. Separate. They, they break back up. The joint session breaks into two little groups. Well, not exactly little groups. There's, there's a lot of members of the House. But they break up, and they then debate on the merits of the objection as it has been brought forth. And they have to do so on an individual basis. There could be literally dozens of separate objections brought up for each one of these swing states because each state, it's my understanding, has to be considered separately. I suppose technically you probably could roll these up together, but for the purpose of of trying to make your point, I would be disappointed almost if… The objection came, and it wasn't submitted on an individual basis. Uh, Whatever your cause here, whether you're talking about the unconstitutional changes uh, to the voting rules within the various states, whether you're talking about the use of software companies or voting uh, booth companies that are proving themselves from audit to audit to be designed… By all appearances here, they appear to have been designed to create a fraudulent return. Now, that's that's not me spouting off my uh, golden wish list for Christmas. That's not me saying what I want to hear. This is me looking at the forensic results from the Dominion voting booth that has taken place and was released today, although I'm assured by all the fact-checkers everywhere that that report has missing context. I'm not certain exactly what context is missing. I've read it thoroughly. I invite you to do the same. It uh, it certainly seems like there's dozens of potential reasons for objection that could be raised and should be raised uh, in these multiple swing states and even in a couple of other states from what we are seeing and hearing at this point where it's not going to change the outcome of the final uh, vote tally. Uh, you know, places like California, uh, you expect Joe Biden to win. But there's still some pretty fishy results in a few of the uh, districts within the state of California as we are still continuing to take a look at these things. So uh, I'm just saying here's where here's where they can really stick it to the Democrats and really make them work for it, if nothing else. Uh, almost a, an electoral uh, kind of filibuster deal. It's like let's, let's see what you got going on here. But they, they would have to debate. The objection, each individual objection that has been co-sponsored by at least one member of both houses now, both uh, both chambers, they have to debate for two hours. And then both of these houses would have to agree in order to disregard the electors from a particular state. But they have to have good reason. They have to be able to back up the reason why they either continue to support or why they want to disregard. And if you do a good enough job writing your 
objection, if you do a good enough job presenting during uh, that debate, it becomes very difficult for anyone to simply play partisan politics. You, you have to actually debate the individual issue change, and that in and of itself would be a refreshing change of pace, although somebody's really going to have to push hard and enforce that part of the rules as well. Otherwise, we know what we get from Nancy Pelosi, right? So while it does seem highly unlikely right now, it does potentially buy time for the Trump campaign legal teams to, to produce more evidence of alleged election fraud, and whether that's actual voter fraud or whether it's a uh, jurisdiction obeyed the law regarding election administration kind of argument. Hey, you unconstitutionally changed how you do mail-in balloting, Pennsylvania kind of order, or uh, just the Trump campaign uh, continues uh, to uh, just make its general challenges on both fronts. If the House and Senate agree to toss out enough electoral votes to reduce Biden's tally below 270, which is the vote threshold needed to win, the presidential election could then potentially be thrown to the House of Representatives for the first time since 1824. Again, not particularly likely. Don't get overly excited. Don't get your hopes up. Chances are they're going to try and install this individual and then as quickly as they can try to remove him. And they seem to be uh, working in multiple uh, theaters of engagement there to be prepared to remove him as soon as they feel that necessary. But the potential is there. Now, presuming that the current electoral college vote holds, or even if they throw out a few but they still leave Biden above that 270 mark, then at that point Mike Pence finds himself having to play a very similar role that Dan Quell did, that Walter Mondale did. That Joe Biden did technically, although he didn't get defeated, uh, two terms had been served. They were outgoing regardless, uh, but have to preside over the certification that was literally defeating his own ticket. Pence would have to declare the winner of the election after counting all of the ballots that were official. After all the counting concludes, you're done. So ask yourself, you've got to have both – have senators ever signed on before. Now, although objections from the House members is pretty routine, Senate sponsorship is very rare. Since the law was passed in 1887, only twice in American history has a senator joined a House member, at least according to the Congressional Research Service, which is who I used to pull up that piece of information. I'm assuming they're correct. They typically are. In 1968, Republican Richard Nixon defeated Democrat Hubert Humphrey and independent candidate George Wallace, who was actually an extremely rare case of a third-party candidate that won some electoral votes. 
1969, Representative James O'Hare and then uh, Senator Edmund Muskie, who had been Humphrey's vice presidential running mate, objected in writing to counting the votes of an elector from North Carolina who had voted for Wallace even though Nixon had won the state. Now, both the House and Senate debated the objection and voted separately to reject it. The Senate voted 58 to 33 against objection, and the House voted 228 to 170 against objection. At the time, the House and the Senate were controlled by Democrats, and uh, when the joint session resumed, the challenge electoral vote was counted for Wallace, who won a total of 46 electoral votes after carrying just five states. North Carolina did not have a law preventing so-called faithless electors at that point in time. So the Supreme Court in June upheld the constitutionality of states imposing penalties on faithless electors, although I kind of thought my understanding of the Electoral College from the beginning was that there really shouldn't be uh, the, an idea of a faithless elector, that the job of the elector is to essentially prevent the general populace from being flimflammed, which is actually why the whole notion here is that state legislatures are – actually supposed to control who gets to become an elector or not. It's not really supposed to be based on the general election either. Not really. Uh, most states have set that up as being a a test for the uh, the selection process. Okay, well, uh, the people of our state have spoken. Okay, still not a democracy. Sometimes the people can be wrong. But doesn't matter now until somebody else challenges it and a new court gets the case. And right now with this current court's makeup, I believe they would avoid it like a case of COVID-19 in a nursing home. Uh, yeah, anything that's a hot-button issue and anything to do with this election, they are going to stay away from, and they are only going to get involved if we absolutely positively make them, if there's just no other choice for them. So don't be surprised. Back in uh, 2005, Democrats uh, alleged voting irregularities in Ohio uh, during a joint session of Congress that year. Representative Stephanie Tubbs Jones and uh, then Senator Barbara Boxer objected in writing to the Ohio electoral votes. Both chambers withdrew from the joint session to consider the objection. The House and Senate in separate votes each rejected the objection. I'm basically meaning, okay, we're, we're not going to do anything based on your objection. Uh, at the end of all this, this is a lot of fluff. This is a lot of – well, I mean it's not fluff. It is a lot of bringing down uh, the basics here. This is what is left. This is how it stands. Now, you can come up with any other scenarios that you want to. What if this happens? What if that happens? What have you? But this is the way it's legally supposed to work at this point. The key would be in what that next step is because if both 
chambers are not in agreement, there's not a lot of specifications on what happens next. It seems difficult to imagine that the House is going to come down uh, in agreeing with any of the objections considering it's their guy. Nancy Pelosi, who would not bring people back to D.C. to vote on a COVID relief bill, uh, brought them back so that they could vote for her as speaker one more time. She is all about maintaining power, and she is all about playing the game, and she is going to remain in that spot for as long as she thinks she can hang on to it. And she is not going to give up any ounce of potential party Gain. It doesn't matter what kind of intellectual gymnastics she has to uh, stretch herself through in order to make it work. But then she doesn't really have to these days, does she? The mainstream media, the legacy media as I've come to start calling them, they don't, they don't bring you the news. They don't bring you the information you need. And it's not just during the time of an election that we have this. It is all the time. They fail over and over and over again. Give a shout out to Mask Free America, by the way, who's joined us in the chat room. There is still technically the process continuing but it is very very hard at this point to even slow it down any further so all the legal battles at this point every last one of them is no longer about trying to salvage a second consecutive term It's about trying to prevent the same type of election shenanigans moving forward. Because make no mistake about it, if we don't fix this now, if we don't dig in, if we don't find a way to fight it, then there's never a legitimate election again. If we don't find the scenario, if we don't weed it out, if we don't pull the corruption out by its roots, it's going to spring back up. And maybe we can never end all of the corruption, but we need to make dang sure that instruments like Dominion voting machines are not allowed to be part of this system. We need to make sure that in individuals are caught flagrantly violating election law, which is a federal crime that they need to be charged, and they need to face the consequences of violating the law, of manipulating our system, of damaging the democratic process that has been enshrined as part of our republic. I'm really tired of the same people that tell us that uh, our votes, uh, that's how we're heard. Be heard. Go vote. Why do you keep telling us to go vote? Because you want to see record numbers so you can pretend like that's where the explanation comes from for why your guy wins. (laughs) 
So where are we at? Now, Master Free America, who, by the way, just just let us know uh, it's a regular show, different. Uh, asked, do uh, do I think that the Supreme Court rejected Texas because they may be corrupt? If Biden uh, slides his face on the seat of the uh, Oval Office and he doesn't uh, pack the bench, then hmm, what does that tell you? Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, I, do, I really don't think it was a case of the Supreme Court being corrupt. I, I wish the Supreme Court had better recognized the Texas case for what it is. And this is a dispute between states, and where else are you going to take a case like that? That should go directly to the Supreme Court. It should be immediate. And the state of Texas does have standing when it comes to questionable practices, illegal practices, unconstitutional practices, and an election that would work to negate the votes of their citizens in their home state. That's a legitimate argument, and it should have been heard. But I do think that the Supreme Court wants to avoid being involved with politics whenever it can. And now that we have a majority of constitutionalists, we're going to get more of that. There's going to be a lot of us conservatives who want the court to act the way they do when they're packed with leftists, the way they do for the left. But that's not really what we want, and that's not a constitutionalist standpoint. What we want them to do is to try and stay above it, which is why we have to continue to find ways to force them to get onto this. That's, that's going to be up to the individuals who have to continue to file the lawsuits and push forward. Donald J. Trump is going to have to continue to fight this fight, and other people withstanding are going to have to fight this fight. In fact, when Donald Trump campaign signed on with that case, that should have discluded the possibility of the case not having standing. Even if you want to try and pretend like, well, it's not really any of Texas's business, what's going on in Pennsylvania. Not true when it comes to the selection of the president. Not true when it comes to the uh, nullification of the electoral results of another state. If it's all done on the up and up, if they all follow the laws, if you have done all your reasonable steps that you possibly can take to ensure the pristine nature of the election with the understanding that there's always going to be some level of cheating. It's nearly impossible to catch it all and root it all out. But if you've done everything that you can and you're as conscientious as you can be, if you've done all that, then fine. The Supreme Court should just take a quick hearing, say, okay, well, it looks like you've done everything uh, that you can, and there you be. In truth, the Supreme Court should have heard this case. But I understand why they didn't want to touch it, and unfortunately, it's also not not because of uh, corruption, but I think it is a case of uh, judicial cowardice. It's unfortunate. That is how it is, and I can't believe that I have spent almost the entirety of this first hour… On the topic, I, I, I expected to go uh, 35 to 40 minutes on it, and I, well, 
Well, I guess I guess I'm not too far off that. It's it's been almost 45 minutes. I should take a very brief break right about now, just to get a little Christmas music in and a Edwards notebook or two, and uh, then pick up to the next topic. I'll still have to divide the show uh, into hours, but at any rate, uh, the possibilities still exist. Uh, no, no, it, it, it is, it's not, boy, it's not. Uh, it was me rambling anyway, and uh, you know I just do that. So anyway, let's take that uh, quick break, which is far from the, the midpoint of the hour. But we'll take that quick break, and then we'll come back, and I will hit uh, a, a primary topic here that's in the show description. Uh, it will not take me very long. We'll finish the hour with that. You guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. was a man who worked very hard to provide for his family, but times were tough. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, one Christmas the man's five-year-old daughter used all of the family's gold wrapping paper for one shoebox that she placed under the family tree. Money was tight, so the struggling dad wondered where the daughter got the money to buy whatever was in that shoebox. Nevertheless, Christmas morning, the little girl filled with excitement brought the gift box to her father. As he opened the box, the dad became angry and said, Don't you know, when you give someone a present, there should be something in the package. The little girl, with tears rolling down her cheeks, whispered, Daddy, it's not empty. I blew kisses into it until it was full. The father was crushed and begged his precious daughter to forgive him for his unnecessary anger. An accident took the life of the child a short time later. It is told that the father kept the little box by his bed all the days of his life. Whenever he was discouraged, he would open the box, take out an imaginary kiss, and remember the love of his beautiful child who put it there. In a real sense, each of us has been given an invisible golden box filled with unconditional love from family, friends, and most of all, God, who gave us his son. Merry Christmas, America. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day.
right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back playing a little bit of the sounds of the season and wishing each and every one of you fine folks out there listening, no matter where you're listening from, a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and uh, whatever other holidays you may be celebrating, hey, what the heck, a happy whatever uh, is uh, bringing you closer together with your friends, your family, and presumably if you're not in a lockdown state at any rate, and, uh, you know, Hope you're truly enjoying the blessings of the season, and uh, may God bless you, whether you acknowledge him or not, and whether it offends you that I say that or not. May he bless you just the same uh, as we continue to move into 2021, and man, Festivus, yes, uh, yes uh, a very merry Festivus uh, for uh, Chief, and whatever floats your boats, ladies and gentlemen, uh, completely, completely open to whatever your process may be. Like I said, whatever brings you closer to your family, uh, your friends, and, uh, you know, makes you happy. It's a good thing. All right, so here's something that... Uh, I would have thought would be garnering a little more attention than what it is. Uh, evidently, we once again see the heroic march of migrants across Central America trying to make their way to the United States, presumably right about in time for a Harris administration to take over. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, more than a thousand Honduran migrants departed their homeland this past week in hopes of reaching the United States. They want to reach the United States because they believe that President-elect Joe Biden's administration will approach their plight with more compassion, more caring, uh, less concern about following the law uh, than the outgoing Trump administration. Uh, I'll remind everybody, by the way, one more time that uh, you know sometimes the best kind of love is tough love. Sometimes the best way to get the idea across to people that the true solution is to fix what's wrong at home. I mean, seriously, what are we going to do if things get so far off the track that we no longer have a republic to stand in? What's going to happen? Are we going to slide off to some other country and expect them to fix it? Where would we go? No other country even comes close to pretending to have the level of uh, liberty that we still get to enjoy here, at least for now. So what would we do? Are we going to form a caravan? Are we going to go demand that another country accept us and, and take care of us? What country would do that? I mean, uh, maybe the European Union in its entirety would be willing to, if we all pretended that we were Muslims uh, from the Middle East. Uh, we're trying to get out of Syria. Okay, go wherever. Uh, what? Uh, Murder and crime and, and rapes are, are on the rise. Um, hmm. Uh, happened the same time you guys got you. I don't see a connection. So, you know, if we pretended to be one of them, I mean, I, we could probably learn some uh, Muslim phrasing, uh, learn a little bit of the Quran to, to quote, to make it seem like we're good students of the Quran. Uh, I, I'm sure we could pull that off. Uh, they would at least try to take care of us, right? But could we stand to live there? 
could we stand to be in a nation that is acquiescing to the desires of Brussels? Yep, yep, guess what? Your individual rights, your sovereignty as an individual nation is subservient and secondary to your membership in the EU. So do as we say. Why do you think uh, the Brits are still leaving? At any rate, this caravan, which actually I I will uh, point out a lot smaller than all these swarms of migrants that we saw uh, back in the day before the wall was nearly completed. Not that it's completely ready to operational uh, keep people out right now kind of deal, but it's a lot closer to being done than the media is telling you. So getting really, really close. But we saw all these tens of thousands of people and the crowds growing as they went along and and Mexico turning a blind eye and Guatemala turning a blind eye as they started in Honduras and went all the way through Guatemala, picking up a lot of Guatemalans along the way. And Mexico just saying, all right, as long as you promise not to stay here, not to stop here, you can just go right on through. Uh, when we were seeing that kind of thing in the earliest days, till Trump made some negotiations and got those governments, all three of those governments, to do a little something to slow it down uh, to the point that it almost had stopped. It didn't stop completely, but was not newsworthy, so deemed by the legacy media. But uh, it's still relatively small. And in this case, these refugees actually uh, – well, these migrants are refugees of a sort… They're seeking uh, refuge after two very powerful hurricanes brought an incredible level of devastation to Honduras. So I'm not saying they don't have a reason to want to find a safer place. I'm not saying they don't have a reason. I've never said they don't have a reason to look for a better place. But at the end of the day… This is not their destination. I would not have a problem if the United States wanted to devote resources to help improve the conditions in a place like Honduras as long as we knew that they were moving towards a functioning government that would be more supportive of liberty. I would not have a problem and have never had a problem with the idea of genuine humanitarian aid into locations that are suffering from devastating natural disasters like the Honduran people happen to be at the moment. But that's not a free pass to come into the United States. It's not a free pass to say, hey, uh, all right, uh, the welcome matters out. Well, Tim, you're being so heartless. You're being so cold. No. I'm being a reasonable individual because we have no way of controlling who is in the crowds when we just allow large number of people to pass through. Even after all the efforts that Donald J. Trump tried putting in place from his beginning as being the chief executive, the nation's CEO, the commander-in-chief… Despite his best efforts to try and put better vetting processes in play, we still don't have them because he was fought tooth and nail in court by 
everyone who they said had standing. The very Supreme Court of the United States that this past Friday said that the state of Texas did not have standing in a case where another state violated their own state constitution to essentially nullify votes within the state of Texas. Basically, American voters did not have standing, gave standing to the so-called dreamers, people who were not citizens of this country. There is no reason the Dreamer program should exist. It is not constitutional. How is it that even the Supreme Court is willing to listen to a case and still not render a verdict based on the merit of the constitutionality of the, of the freaking program in the first place? How is that? It's not constitutional. There is no legal grounds to force a program that is not constitutional to continue to exist. But that's where we're at. All right, so uh, I'm quickly running out of time for the first hour of the broadcast. And uh, the show does get uh, split in half for rebroadcast purposes, so I'm going to reset the hour right about now. So I'm going to tell each and everybody out there, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, whatever holidays you may be uh, celebrating. I uh, hope you enjoy them. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and, more importantly, use your brain. If you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, stay uh, stay safe out there, stay healthy, and be smart, even if it kind of goes against your nature. Uh, if you're here live at BTR, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this.
because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. However, I know the overwhelming majority of you fine folks do not listen to the show live, as sometimes you're listening to the podcast, or maybe you're listening on one of the great radio stations across the country that rebroadcast this show on a regular, in some cases, daily basis. There's still some stations that it's seven days a week. And we'll be that way at least until the end of this year uh, when lots of things change. Um, want to give a shout-out to folks like KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority. If you're listening there, uh, show the station some love. Uh, send them some emails. Let them know you're listening. Let them know which shows you enjoy. Uh, let them know which shows you don't like. Helps them to decide what better serves your community. Uh, same thing for the fine folks over at WCET FM in Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia's talk is where it is happening in the state of Cal- uh, state of Cal- state of South Carolina. Boy, I, I deserve uh, a flogging for that one. Uh, <laughs> If you're listening there, do the same thing. Uh, show some love for the station and uh, sign up to become a late-nighter if you haven't already. You can listen to them uh, worldwide at WCETFM.com or on the app. Perhaps you're listening to KDIL, 105.7 FM in Kennewick, Washington. 
Uh, certainly hope you're enjoying the show if you are. And, of course, KOII 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you guys are along for the ride, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And, again, same thing I said for the other stations. Let them know what you're enjoying. Uh, for your benefit, though, Time of the Live broadcast was uh, Tuesday night. It's uh, December 15th, 2020. A few brief moments after uh, 8 p.m., uh, a little bit later than the usual, as I had a later than usual start time, but uh, we're still getting the full two hours in. want to give shout-outs to Bringing It Boy, who's in the house. we got Purple Pill hanging out, and we've got uh, Chief, host of Simple Facts of Life, also in the house. Now, when Bringing It Boy is in the house, that also usually means that Suzette is around, too, somewhere nearby. I uh, hope that is still the case, and hope you guys are enjoying your California Christmas, and uh, as best you can and uh in the meanwhile uh welcome aboard i mean it, it is that time of year we are at the halfway point of the month of december we are almost to christmas uh certainly entering the uh, hanukkah holiday season uh festivus according to uh chief should be mentioned uh, directly and you know regardless of what you're celebrating uh, you know happy holidays to you uh, as we move into the new year as well uh with all that having been said oh uh, evidently Suzette is waving oh and I'm glad you reminded me because I almost moved right past without telling people to go check out Suzette live uh you want to go to spreaker.com you want to look up the ideas are bulletproof network and you will find Suzette bringing you a lot of great conservative commentary a lot of the time all right so uh Lots of things are going on that aren't directly related to the election, although some of them are quasi-related. I think we're going to start entering some more normalized um, news cycles, which it can be interesting for a commentator like myself because it means we're not constantly talking about the same four stories over and over again, which uh, made up a lot of what was going on. It, it was – you had the overall, uh, overall arc of what – are the Democrats and the media trying to do to Donald Trump now? Uh, okay, this is happening. Now they're trying to impeach him. Now they're trying to undermine him in the courts. Now they're saying he's the first president in the history of uh, the United States that doesn't have the authority to write an executive order to undo an executive order from a previous president. You know, All these crazy things, which in and of themselves are a different story, but they were all part of the same story, trying to keep Donald Trump from accomplishing anything. Sadly, if you're one of them, he still managed to do quite a few positive things, and I do believe despite where we sit currently, uh, providing that the brown shirts don't eventually end up winning overall and the fall of our republic is imminent, which I do not believe the case, but assuming that to be not about to happen, I think history will be far kinder to Donald Trump than uh, nearly any of the intellectuals currently want to admit. But, you know, that's just me. Uh, some of the stories going on, however, is, is quasi-related to the election because it's about elections having consequences, right? Uh, we're now past the Electoral College vote. And I spent time back in the first hour of today's uh, live broadcast, which hopefully most of you listening on the radio got to hear at the same time slot yesterday. If not, you can look up the podcast for me if 
if you're interested enough to do so. But I spent a big part of the first hour talking about the best possible, although highly unlikely, chance of still legally salvaging a Trump second term, and that involves the actual certification of the electoral vote, which is uh, usually held on January 6th. Uh, every year. So uh, once we get past the new year, uh, we'll be looking at a joint session of Congress where the vice president will be presiding over the joint session. And there is still that opportunity for a member of the House to bring an objection over a certain electoral vote. Uh, they can bring up that objection basically for any reason whatsoever. Uh, it is then uh, required to have a senator. To sponsor a set objection, and should that occur, then uh, the two teams, in this case the House and the Senate, they break up and they debate for two hours. Then they get back together after they've voted whether or not they're going to uh, acknowledge the objection as being legitimate or they're going to ignore the objection. Uh, it has never really stood. Uh, there's been no objections that have really stood before. Uh, in fact, more often than not, uh, the objections almost never get a senatorial sponsor. Uh, you're very likely to get uh, at least a couple of senators uh, sponsoring uh, the objections this go around. So there could be a very long, drawn-out process here. It may not be the usual simple stuff. And part of me says, yeah, go for it. Make it as painful. Make the Democrats work for it as much as you can. Uh, another part of me says, okay, well, let's just keep fighting in the courts. Let's let's keep investigating and rooting out all of the corruption that we've seen take place, and let's, let's hold people accountable. Let's charge people with crimes, and let's root it out so that this doesn't happen again. Let's, let's shift our interest. Uh, let's shift our focus and move forward. And yet there is a third part of me that says, can't we do both? So I think that one's the one that's winning right now, by the way. But being as presumptive as many in the legacy media have been for a while now, let us pretend for just a moment that barely there Beijing Biden manages to find himself uh, cozily sitting behind the resolute desk for the 15 minutes the Democratic Party or whoever the powers that be that are behind this allow him to sit there uh, before they decide to – pull the trigger and replace him, but uh, let's pretend he's there. He has already demonstrated uh, not the best of judgment who he's selecting uh, to fill certain key roles, and one of the names that have come up recently is current New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and as a result of Cuomo's name being mentioned in a very positive, glowing uh, way and uh, strong consideration for Cuomo to play an important role in a Harris – and I'm saying Harris intentionally, uh, although Joe probably still thinks that we should call it a Biden administration. It's, it's never going to be a Biden administration. Joe Biden is going to be the guy in charge for about as long as Barack Obama was actively uh, doing presidential work. And we all know uh, that at that point in time, the uh, Planet of the Apes having a baby 
<laughs> Valerie Jarrett. Of course, I'm playfully referring to Roseanne Barr's little comment about Valerie Jarrett. We know that Valerie Jarrett was more the president during the eight years of Barack hanging out in the White House. She was doing more of the actual behind-the-scenes, uh, coming up with policies, enacting policy, moving policy forward. We know that. Now, a lot of people still seem to think that other people played a role, what have you. But I think we all can agree that Barack Obama was either A, campaigning, B, playing golf, or C, vacationing, although almost never with Michelle and girls. Hmm, strange. But anyway, with, with all that in play, we know that Joe Biden is going to be the guy even less. No matter how long they actually let him hold the position, we know this. One of the people he's picked, like I said, Andrew Cuomo, right? So not long after Cuomo's name came out, suddenly accusations of sexual harassment and verbal abuse popped up. Now, I don't know about you, but after having listened to Andrew Cuomo and, and how he uh, deals with uh, the press court or being friendly and then how he speaks to people that are asking him questions he doesn't want to answer, I have little trouble believing that Andrew Cuomo is capable of verbally abusing somebody. I also have very little trouble believing, based on his actions, that he might have uh, harassed someone in a, a fashion that could be deemed, uh, well, a hostile work environment type deal. But I found it very interesting how quickly the legacy media wants to go to sleep on the story. Well, they may not have much of a choice, however, very soon because uh, Representative uh, Stefanik, Republican from the state of New York, is now calling for an investigation into the sexual harassment and the other claims against the Democratic governor of New York. After – like I said, after one of Cuomo's former aides came forward, uh, they made these allegations, and uh, these allegations, I think, based on what we've been told, you know, by, from from the left, from people like Andrew Cuomo, that that women should be believed, uh, that women should be heard, that that they have a right to speak. Their truth, right? Right? Isn't isn't this the mantras from the left? I, if if we were to to follow their rules exactly the way they want it portrayed, when it comes to conservatives, or I mean, you don't even have to be conservative. If you just have an R at the end of your name, you're on the wrong team as far as they're concerned. So, as far as they want Republicans slash and or conservatives treated, there should be no presumption of innocence. There should be no due process. We should just immediately move to yeah, guilty and move on, right? Right? Yeah, that that's that's the America they want, isn't it? Have I missed a memo? Due process just for them. Are we back to the do as I say, not as I do mentality of leftist office holders? I'm thinking maybe we are because uh, Stefanik uh, said that Cuomo's own calls for investigation into public figures accused of similar acts should be applied to him as well. I, I tend to agree. Uh, saying, quote, 
I am publicly calling for an independent investigation into the serious allegations of pervasive workplace sexual harassment and verbal abuse by Governor Andrew Cuomo. The people of New York deserve a governor who lives up to his own public statements on sexual harassment. I, um, I, I don't find any flaws in that logic. I don't find any shortcomings in the idea that if you're going to preach it, you should practice it. If you're going to establish a set of rules, uh, those rules should apply to you. Now, I know that it's, it's a strange, funny, weird thought process when it comes to the folks uh, that are currently holding office. Uh, looks like, especially if you look at Congress, isn't it funny how every law that gets passed, very few of those laws actually apply to them? I mean… It's it's not just me, is it? Just 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 a little hypocritical, maybe. Now, if if they agreed that it's good enough for us, shouldn't it be good? Oh, I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I I forgot. They're smarter than the rest of us. They're they're better than the rest of us. Uh, clearly. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. I mean, it's it's Animal Farm all over again, right? You know, uh, it starts out all animals are equal until they're in charge, and then it's some animals are more equal than others, right? I mean, that's that's where we're at. <sighs> now, I for one, I, I don't see any reason why there should not be full investigation and uh, the full due process. I I, I don't like. Cuomo, I think Cuomo killed a lot of senior citizens with his response to the COVID. I think Andrew Cuomo spent a lot of time on national TV yucking it up with his brother over on CNN when his citizens needed him to be doing his job. I think Andrew Cuomo is a self-centered, egotistical – well, I, I – I have to stop because, again, this show is rebroadcast over FCC-controlled radio airwaves. Uh, so even though if it was just right here, <laughs> I am not an animal. My name is John Merrick. <laughs> I feel you, boy. Okay. Um It still comes down to some very basic things here, and that is the guy can be a jerk, but he's still entitled to due process, and we should treat him to full due process. But you know what? Part of due process is that the accusation is made, and there's an investigation. Part of the due process for the people of the state of New York is your governor has been accused of what could potentially be a pretty serious crime, not just a moral violation, not just a violation of the code of the Democratic Party, not just a violation of the Me Too movement, uh, not just a, a violation of the, the special secret uh, Democrat club uh, pretend values of, of virtue signaling. But actually criminal 
I mean, uh, harassment, if it gets to a certain point, does become criminal. So part of that due process is for the people of the state to be aware of said investigation and for said investigation to be a serious one. It's not good enough to just say, hey, I'm the governor. No, sorry. That's not how it works in America. It's not supposed to. It should never, and the people of the state of New York should not allow it, same as the people of the state of California shouldn't allow Gavin Newsom to act as if he is the emperor. I'm emperor of the state of California. Do as I say, not as I do. No, don't allow it. The people of Michigan should be pushing back against Governor Wichmer. People who have a lack of understanding of what their actual role is should be reminded of a very simple fact, and that is here in the United States of America, we hire you to do the work of the people when we elect you. We hire you. You work for us. That's true of the people of the state of California when they elect a governor. It's true of the citizens of the city of Los Angeles when they elect a mayor. It's true of the citizens of the United States of America when we elect a president, when we elect senators for our state, when we elect representatives for the House. When we do these things, we are sending these people to go work for us. The way the system has worked as well as it has for as long as it did was because the original people that went there understood that they governed through the authority, through the permission, through the consent of the governed. That's you and me, boys and girls. They don't get to just declare absolute power. They don't get to declare absolute authority, and we must hold them accountable. It's our job. It's our responsibility. It's up to us. It's a common reframe. I've said this a lot in the past. I haven't said it that much lately, but I've said it a lot in the past. We have the responsibility to take back our power, our authority. When you read the Constitution and then you read the Bill of Rights, which I feel deserves to be enshrined as a legitimate part of the Constitution, whereas every amendment after the 10th is up for debate and is always potentially ready to be removed, stricken, reversed. You can ratify it, you can erase it, but nothing should touch the Constitution itself nor the first ten. And the funny thing is that Tenth Amendment says specifically that any power that is not expressly given to one of the three branches of the federal government as laid out in the Constitution's main body… It doesn't belong to the federal government. 
Any right that's not specifically enumerated does not belong under the manifest power of the federal government. It belongs to the states and to the individuals. That's us. We've got to take that standard. So you know what? I am happy to see the left already starting to eat their own. We saw it right out the gate when, when there was a, the notion, the idea that maybe Gavin Newsom might find himself a position in a <clears throat> Harris administration. Well, a lot of folks on the left, a lot of the Black Lives Matter folks went to uh, – they went to war right then and there. Like, no, this is not going to happen. How do you think this is going to play out? I mean the, the conservatives in this country, they know what they want, and they're ready to stand together to get it. They're more awake now. They're more passionate now, and they're more active now than I've seen them. Even during the time of the Tea Party rallies, uh, the, the level of preparedness to take action has never been this strong that I recall. Hopefully we can continue to do that in the marketplace of ideas. Hopefully we can continue to push back without violence. Sadly, organizations like Antifa are going to make that difficult. And the media, of course, is going to focus on the pushback against Antifa from groups like the Proud Boys, which again I will point out not only are they not alt-right exactly, not only are they not – White supremacists, the way the media wants to portray them, but they're not even the aggressors when they're involved in violent acts. They are always – every case that I've seen – now, maybe there might be a case out there where somebody got a little proactive. Maybe they jumped the gun a little bit, but in everything that I have seen, the Proud Boys in every situation has always responded to someone committing an act of violence against an innocent individual Usually an elderly individual, usually a weak, soft target, or at least that's what the Antifa thugs thought. I would really like to, to sneak into the minds of some of these leftists and try and figure out exactly what is it they expect to happen. This isn't Europe. This isn't Canada. This isn't a place where a small group of uh, conservatives are going to become highly inflamed and possibly start a militia group, but the rest are just going to bend over and, uh, you know, kiss your ring. I'm trying to keep it relatively clean. Uh, we're not. We're going to push back, and we're going to push back legally. We're going to push back within the confines of what we can. We don't want violence, but we're not going to tolerate very much more of it either. I don't like the fact that the Proud Boys have to get engaged, have to push back against Antifa. I would much prefer that our law enforcement be free to do their jobs and actually step up and do it. I would very much like to see more of the sheriffs in various locations that are stepping up and saying, no, I'm not emptying our jails because I've already let out all the criminals that I feel are not a threat to the general public. The only people left in my jails are murderers, 
and violent criminals, rapists, people with a history of gun violence. Those people are staying in the jail. I, I don't care what you say. I want more sheriffs like that. I want more sheriffs that are going to tell the governor, no, I'm not going to enforce your unconstitutional edicts. You don't have the power to make law, and even if you got a law passed through the legislature and you signed off on it, if it's unconstitutional, it's still unconstitutional, and we're not going to do that here. That's what we need more of. We need fewer uh, city police chiefs that want to stand beside a woke mayor… And virtue signal to the high heavens thinking that we should de-escalate. I want fewer wheelers in Portland going around talking about how, oh, we're gonna we're gonna take down the, the Red House autonomous zone. And then two days later apologizing and trying to de-escalate. Why? What? What happened? I mean, you were all tough for all of 15 minutes. What happened? Did you realize there was going to be some pushback? Your leftist agenda and your desire to be in control occasionally come into conflict, Mayor Wheeler. This is one of those occasions. So which one won out? Did you find out there was actually going to be some pushback? Did you find out that, oh, there is a victim here? Well, as far as I can tell, there's multiple victims in that little scenario, and the folks that bought the property are being victimized right now. They offered to sell the property back to the previous <clears throat> owner. Well, let's call them residents because if they owned it, it wouldn't have been foreclosed on, right? So the – Residents lose their rights to be there. Somebody else buys it. They offered to sell it back at their cost when they found out that these folks had nowhere to go. That seems pretty reasonable. What doesn't seem reasonable is Wheeler's initial reaction, oh, you will do as I say because now I don't have to play patty cakes. We're not trying to win in a presidential election anymore. Now the iron fist is here. That's the initial reaction. The police will use any means necessary. Unbelievable. Okay. I've uh <laughs> I don't know if you guys could hear that, but I just had a very weird uh set of music pull through my headphones. It's like I don't know where that came from. I certainly don't know if it came through. <laughs> but regardless, uh that's enough of that. Now, we are right about at the midway point of the hour, so I guess I'm going to have to leave that conversation where it is as we move on to the next topic. Uh, let's take that mid-hour break, and uh, soon as my as soon as my uh, computer here starts cooperating again, as I seem to have no control over the switchboard at the moment, uh, very 
<laughs> at least it was some uh, snazzy Christmas type music. At any rate, I still have no idea where that came from, and uh, like I said, I don't know if you guys could hear it or not. But uh, let's uh, let's take that break here as soon as I can get control. I'm not liking this. In the meanwhile, uh, <laughs> I love doing this thing. Like I, I, at some point, I think I'm just going to stop doing the live thing so that I can avoid crap like this. Let's just start recording it, and that will just be so much nicer uh, for the quality of the show. Uh, I, so here again, let me reiterate while I'm waiting for my equipment to start cooperating again, and that being the simple fact that uh, – I'm not even seeing the screen at all. The simple fact that uh, the the media has no right to ignore the Cuomo story, and I'm glad somebody is demanding an investigation because that may not make the investigation happen, but it does. It does necessitate that more media outlets will have to talk about the fact that uh, this guy is not the superhero that the media tried to make him out to be during the COVID daily briefings. All right, so you guys stay right where you're at, and I will be back in just a brief moment, I think. See if it starts working. It should start. <laughs> a candy maker in Indiana wanted to produce a candy that would be a witness so he made the Christmas candy cane. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the candy maker began with a stick of pure white hard candy to symbolize the virgin birth and sinless nature of Jesus. The candy maker made the candy in the form of a J to represent the name of Jesus who came to earth as our Savior. It also represented the staff of the Good Shepherd who reaches down into the ditches of the world to lift out the fallen lambs that have gone astray. Realizing his candy was very plain, the candy maker stated with red stripes to symbolize the scourging Jesus received by which we are all healed. The large red stripe was for the blood shed by Jesus on the cross so that we could have the promise of eternal life. Unfortunately, the candy became known only as a candy cane, a meaningless decoration seen at Christmas time. But the meaning is still there for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that this symbol will again be used to witness the wonder of Jesus and his great love that came down to us remain the ultimate and dominant force in the universe today and forever. Merry Christmas, and may God bless everyone. I'm Ron Edwards. Please check out theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello and welcome to your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. So, are you getting too much or too little sleep to rest your brain? According to the National Sleep Foundation, too much sleep can be just as bad as too little sleep for you. Scientists think that about seven hours sleep is the optimum for refreshing the body. Here are some tips. Go to bed at the same time every day. Keep your bedroom cool and turn off the television. This has been your Veterans Tip of the Day. I'm Dan Perkins.
Ours was the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government and with three little words, we the people. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was just a little reminder of some of the wisdom from Ronald Reagan back in the day. We could use a little more of that wisdom being freely spoken, not only across the radio airwaves, across the television dials, but across college campuses and high school campuses across this country. In fact, it would be nice to see that kind of thought spread around the world in a uncontrollable, dare I say, pandemic-like movement, breathing liberty around the world so that all may thrive and enjoy the true blessings of what this world has to offer. All right, now, uh, as is often the case, I find myself drawn towards uh, – or it's one of our culture war stories. It's been – I know if you're a regular listener, you've heard me lament this, and if you've been a long-time listener, you've actually seen the transition of the show. I used to focus a lot on policy. I wanted to be uh, on substance. I wanted to talk about what was most important about what was being done in D.C., and I eventually got to the point where I came to realize – that on my own, I, I'd heard other people say this, but yeah, you know, it comes through. Okay, here it is. Culture is uh, where politics kind of gets its momentum from. You can move a lot of bad politics by instilling a lot of bad ideas and thoughts into the culture. So the culture war is really the true battle that's ongoing in this country, and. It strikes me as being sometimes detrimental, but sometimes a positive opportunity too because guess what? The culture in this nation has been fairly well controlled for a while by people that at the very least lean to the left, a lot of them pretty hardcore leftists. But that doesn't have to be the way it stays. We have opportunities to take control of media outlets. We have opportunities to have our own media outlets, and to advance the causes of conservatism and the causes of American exceptionalism. Those are things that we should do. But in the meanwhile, you have to fight against all those negative things. Now, came across this story, and it's gotten a fair amount of play, but again, probably, in my opinion, should be getting more. See, there's this popular transgender activist who's recently called for all children to be put on puberty blockers until they're able to decide which gender that they want to be. 
Now, when you hear that off the top, you, you can't help but wonder what is this person thinking? Is, is this just somebody who's trying to be a provocateur? Are they just trying to get some attention? And there's a really good chance of that because this was Lauren McNamara, known by followers as Zena Jones. Now, Lauren argued earlier this month that children should be legally able to consent to the administration of puberty blockers since they already de facto consent to the permanent and irreversible changes that come naturally through puberty. Now, to my mind, that's not a very good argument. I tend to think that the natural biological course of you growing up, as you moving from childhood to adulthood, that doesn't constitute consent. You don't have to consent uh, to grow up. Unfortunately, it's going to happen no matter what you do. And puberty blockers do cause long-lasting and in many cases permanent uh, changes from who you were by DNA supposed to become in relationship to who you end up and can in many of these cases cause long-term, long-lasting medical uh, conditions that are not exactly healthy if you'll let me dumb down the conversation a little. I I don't understand where you even come up with this type of language, but this is a type of mush that is passed off as logical and smart thinking amongst leftists uh, in the modern age. There are literally college campuses where the high level of debate propagates this type of reasoning, and I I have to ask. Is that reasoning? Because there's no reason involved. I, I would, I would feel dirty even calling some of their thought processes circular logic because there's no logic. It's just circular. They explain their position uh, by posing a juxtaposition and pretending both are completely logical, normal, and it proves their point. Even though lots of times they literally prove the opposite of their point. They just don't stop to think about it. Critical thinking is a dead art. De facto consent. Uh, anyway, quoting here uh, from Zena uh, on her Twitter account, uh, <clears throat> if children can't consent to puberty blockers, which pause any permanent changes even with the relevant professional evaluation, how can they consent to the permanent and irreversible changes that come with their own puberty with no professional evaluation whatsoever? What professional evaluation is necessary for you to transition physically from childhood to adulthood? Because that's what we're talking about. That's what puberty is. Uh, emotionally, mentally, uh, nothing can force that change. In fact, I know a lot of 40-plus-year-olds, even close to 50-year-olds now, that never got to adulthood at their mental level. I know sometimes I feel like I didn't quite make that move. 
I, I enjoy certain childish endeavors. I, I freely admit it, however, and uh, hence I am not a perfect person. But then the idea, this notion that somehow children who still have yet to develop a true sense of who they are should suddenly say, I want you to inject me with uh, drugs to prevent me from maturing physically in case I decide I don't want to be what biology says I am. The party of science wants to deny basic biology, not a juxtaposition we haven't already addressed. But this notion here, this isn't some stuffy member of the House of Representatives giving a speech trying to get some campaign contributions to their re-election campaign by pretending or virtue signaling that they support a particular cause. Yes, yes, uh, you you transgender activists, uh, you, you form a group, you form a coalition, and we'll recognize you, we'll bring you in front of our committees and let you testify about the harm society is doing to you as a result of not accepting your vision of yourself, your image of who you are, not allowing you to define yourself. You come and talk to – and of course, once you're organized, and since we'll help you to organize in a tax-exempt status, then when you do fundraising, don't forget who helped you out. Don't forget who's going to – Vote in Congress to do things that are going to help you. <coughs> Building a constituency, it's called. But this is the kind of person that's there. <clears throat> I, I feel dirty using the word. They're an influencer. And this is the ideology that this individual is influencing people with. A YouTuber making this – continued with her argument saying, quote, an inability to offer informed consent or understand the long-term consequences is actually an argument for putting every single cis – and trans person on puberty blockers until they acquire that ability. What? Completely ignoring, completely ignoring the fact, the very basic, simple fact that if a child is suffering from gender dysphoria, Better than 90% of them – better than 90% without the assistance of a professional, without the assistance of medical treatment or medical intervention, find themselves moving past gender dysphoria, find themselves quite content with who they are, who biology said they were always supposed to be. The phenomenon of trending trans, right up there with the phenomenon of trending gay, is become such a social norm in certain areas of the country that kids feel a pressure 
to identify as someone other than who they are. That pressure comes from leftists, people who think like this person, and they're trying to continue to pursue this notion. Well, uh, kids should be allowed to decide for themselves if they want to be on hormone blockers. No, they're children. Well, why should they be forced to? Because that's nature. Are you going to give me some some story about who God intended them to be? I could. That's what I believe. But you know what? Let's just put it in a form that you can understand. It's basic biology. It's the science. Tell you what, I'll listen to you lecture me about climate change and how human-caused climate change is causing forest fires in California for 15 minutes. If you'll let me talk to you about basic biology for 15 minutes, and we'll see which one of the two of us makes more sense. Let's see which one of the two of us can come up with more rational rebuttals for your points, which, by the way, poor forest management is responsible for forest fires in California way more than any level of climate change. Oh, he's a science denier. Again, I'm the one talking basic biology here. Now, to put this in perspective a little bit, these comments came uh, following a court case in the UK involving a young individual by the name of Bell, a 23-year-old biological female who sued the British National Health Service's Gender Identity Youth Clinic for prescribing her puberty blockers when she was 16 years old. Bell, who since regrets becoming a male, which technically she didn't, she just appears to be one, argued that the clinic did not do enough to challenge her decision to transition. Translation, the clinic wanted to do it. So they didn't say, hey, what about the fact that I might be too young? What about the fact that I may not fully understand the lifelong repercussions that will occur here. Miss Bell was moving forward with this lawsuit and appears to be winning. But this comment, it, it makes no sense. Why shouldn't children be allowed to consent? Well, what else shouldn't children be allowed to consent to? Oh, yeah. The left doesn't believe there's anything that they shouldn't be allowed to consent to, do they? And when we say the left, we, we're saying the left in general. There may be some individuals among the left that might draw the line at their children at age seven uh, being able to consent to sexual activity. They may be unwilling to con allow their children uh, at age 16 to consent to go to a Trump rally. But on the whole, the left thinks that children should be allowed to consent to anything. Well, except for going to a Trump rally. They, they, they would find some reason to be against that. I, I have no doubt.
so what what do we end up with? We continue to see the culture war try to promote ideas that they don't stand up to scrutiny. But who's scrutinizing these people these days? I mean, who's challenging? And and I want people to challenge everything you see on YouTube. Everything. If you've got a YouTuber, challenge it, scrutinize it. I don't care how much you like what they're saying. If you're watching videos of uh, Bill Whittle, if you're watching uh, videos of Matt Christensen, if you're watching uh, videos of me, which heaven help you, there's not very many, and I don't recommend them. Uh, so be it. Everything you see in here, challenge it. Go look at it. In fact, I have been known to do, especially in the earliest days of the show, take <coughs> excuse me, take news stories that were pure satire and treat them like they were real, just to see who would and wouldn't call me out. I'm very proud to say that the folks that listen to this show very quickly called me out, saying, you you know that's not true, right? They were worried because I did such a good job of, of bringing it like I was behind it and was really passionate uh, on those occasions. Now, I don't do that anymore. I, like I said, in the early days, I, I did some of that uh, on a few occasions. And I, again, so very proud that almost right off the bat, folks were like, well, wait a minute, Tim. So I'm very proud of the folks that listen to this broadcast. Because, as I've said before, I may not have the biggest audience out there, but I certainly have the smartest. You prove it every day with the decisions you make, the people you vote for, and how you make your cases, and, and that's what we have to do. And I don't care if you're watching QAnon videos or if you're watching uh, this chick out here trying to say that children should be able to challenge everything and start pushing back. <laughs> Wherever you're allowed to make comments, comment. But you know, don't get abusive. Don't go over the top. Don't act like you're one of them. Just drop some truth bombs. Boom. Why should kids uh, not be able to consent to hormone blockers? <laughs> because they're not old, old enough to consent to any medical treatment, period. What? Well, they're not. Why should uh, hormone blockers not be used for uh, teenagers, no matter how they identify, no matter how they see themselves? Because most of the time, an overwhelming majority of the time, that passes. They become comfortable with who they were meant to be. That's a natural part of the process. If you're entering into puberty and you're not awkward and subconscious and thinking that you don't belong, if you're just having a really great time of it, either A, you're lying to yourself, or B, you are a unicorn. Because I'm sure there's a few folks out there that, no, oh, no, I never had a problem. But most people just fake it really good. Puberty is a time of upheaval and change, and it's not easy for very many people. So you should expect there to be trouble. Do not run and hide from it. Embrace it. It's life. Challenges, challenges abound. They're, 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 they're abounding everywhere. Embrace challenges. Embrace 
the fact that if you're going to be successful in life, you're going to have to learn to overcome challenges and embrace who you are. Whatever your personality, however you want to define yourself, whatever, but your chromosomes and your DNA tell a very specific story too, and do not deny that. Do not try to change that because that's an important part of who you are, and I'm out of time. <laughs> All right, so boy, Suzette, uh, Chief, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Purple Pill is – Dove out. I, I'm still not exactly certain what Purple Pill was up to in here, other than uh, apparently trying to agitate some of the folks in the chat room. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's Christmas. We'll give them a pass. In the meanwhile, everybody out there, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, whatever holidays you may be celebrating. And I do mean when I say that, including into the new year. Hopefully 2021 will be a much better year for most of us than 2020 has been uh, for a lot of us. And in the meanwhile, please, whatever, ever you heard me say, don't take not one little word of it as gospel. I want you to think for yourself. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it, boy, or Suzette. I think it's Suzette now, given the caps. I wouldn't worry about uh, a purple pill. Uh, we all know how the intellectuals behave. So anyway, as I was saying, don't take my word for any of it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and uh, be smart out there, even if that kind of goes against your nature. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back tomorrow night, but still, uh, work at the day job has been kind of wacky lately. It's hard to keep a regular schedule right now, but I'll try to be back tomorrow night, and hopefully you guys will join me as well. In the meanwhile, I'm out of here. Good night, everybody.